optimism definitely engenders courage. And courage is so necessary if you want a life that's in any way out of the ordinary. Welcome to A Life of Freedom podcast, your source of inspiration and information on how and why you should choose your own happiness, pursue your passion, design a life that fulfills you and make your own. I'm your host, ISLKC. This is episode two of season one. Today we are talking with the Shetland of Chateau de Delan in France, Stephanie Jarvis. Let's get to the show. How did you got started with uh, living in a chateau? Um, it all started when I was a little girl because I'd always wanted to live in a castle. And I think that probably I have fairy tales to blame for that. Um, I just loved the idea of being a princess in a castle when I was older. And I didn't realize that wasn't really a career path, but I, I just never lost sight of wanting that. So I would tell everyone around me that that's what I wanted. And on the first day that I met my best friend at Oxford, I told him, oh, one day we should buy a castle together. But obviously that's not always very easy. And we did other things in life. And then when we were 29 years old, we each had a small two bedroom flat in London. And we thought, why don't friends pool their resources in the same way as couples do? Because if we bought a flat together, if we sold both of our flats, we could get something bigger. We could live with other friends. We'd have a little garden in London. And so we decided to do that, sold our flats, and then started to see what we could afford in London. And what we could afford in London was just <laughs> very uninspiring. It's so expensive there. And I realized that at the same price, we could buy a chateau in London, uh, sorry, a chateau in France. And so I was complaining about that to him. And he just said, well, let's do it. I'm going to speak to my work. And if they let me work from home, let's stop talking about it as we have been doing for so long. And let's just dive in. So I started looking all over France and eventually found La Lande. So when you're looking for a chateau, so what were the things that you were looking for? Like do you look for like certain, like certain type of a size or a price range? Or was it just a, like a feeling that um, I think it's, it was all of those things to a certain extent. Size a little bit less so. I didn't really mind about that. Price, obviously, is always important. I mean, <laughs> unless you have all the money in the world, you're always going to be constrained by price. So we were looking at spending um, under £600,000 back, back then in 2005. And um, we, we looked everywhere. I thought, I don't mind which part of France it is. It's more about the feeling you get about the house. But as we searched, we started to find out the things that bothered us or didn't bother us. And so I think we started to formulate and crystallize an idea of what we wanted during the search. We realized that we didn't like the idea of road noise because if I'm next to a road, then I'd like to be in a city with all of the conveniences of a city and, and everything that goes with it. But to live in the countryside, I think I wanted to feel somewhere very, very peaceful. And um, my then boyfriend, who's actually another owner now, he's, he's just a very good friend of mine now, who's bought in, so it's owned by three of us. At the time, he was saying he insisted on a turret. <laughs> he absolutely wanted a turret. And he wanted a moat uh, with moat monsters. But uh, Lalande has a moat just on the front part, and it has these huge carpet, absolutely massive. So I thought that probably classified as moat monsters. And I wanted countryside all around me rather than having a chateau in a town. 
because I grew up in the countryside and I think I like to look out of the window and just see fields and trees. And I was starting to think we wouldn't be able to find what we wanted in our price range. But then, then we got lucky. So what was uh, special about Lalat that uh, made you decide that I want to buy? I think it was the only place that we had seen that ticked all of those boxes. In fact, the only thing it doesn't have that I really wanted was a grand entrance hall with a sweeping staircase. Uh, La Lande is quite un- unusual for chateaus, actually. It's pretty much one of the only chateaus not to have that. But it has everything else as a special feeling about the place. I think when you walk into a house, you just feel whether you have an affinity with it. And I knew that I wanted to buy it before I even stepped inside. We were driving up the drive, we saw it appear. I could immediately see that there were no roads, factories, housing estates, um, anything else around it. And it's like a little jewel that appears out of the countryside. And it just felt like home straight away, really. And I told my father, this is it. This is the chateau I want to buy. And when he said, but you haven't been inside yet, I realized that I felt that the inside you can change. You, you can make big differences inside a building, but you can't change its environment. Okay. So you talked about like, like from your childhood, you were inspired to uh, like buy a castle. So what were your like favorite stories? Oh, my favorite story by a long way above everything else was Cinderella, which I must have read thousands and thousands of times. My mother um, was quite strict, is still very strict, and she wanted me to read very early. So I could read um, pretty fluently in English by the time I was three and haltingly in French a little bit after that. And at the age of three or four, she said to me, I'm not going to read stories to you anymore. You have to read them for yourself. And I remember I had the, I think it's the Ladybird Cinderella book. And I was so annoyed about it that I thought I'm only going to look at the pictures. But the pictures were so wonderful. I wanted to know every aspect of the story. So I would read it and I'd read it over and over again. And wanting to create that fairy tale has always been my mission. But the fairy tale changes, obviously, as you get older. And I think that's part of it being successful is when you realize that it's actually far more interesting if it isn't easy. And, and if you're, you're on a process to make that happen with your friends, all of the struggles are part of the fairy tale as well. So now, before you were finding a chateau, so you were living in London and you like, were to be like an you know, opera singer. So how was that life? I was just at a crossroads in my life when I came to France because I'd studied English at Oxford. And then after that, I was the administrator in my parents' nursing home. And whilst I was doing that, I managed to get a postgraduate course in opera because I'd always thought I would be an opera singer. I think probably because it was what my parents had pushed me into. My mother really wanted me to be an opera singer. And um, I very much enjoyed singing. But I had to admit to myself that I'm not a huge lover of opera. So it seemed madness to make a life out of something that I very much enjoyed doing but didn't particularly enjoy immersing myself in the world of. I didn't really go to many operas. I didn't know who all the great conductors were. I I wasn't listening to it in my spare time. I had to admit it wasn't a passion, whereas chateaus were a passion. In my spare time, I was looking at chateaus online and looking at interior design. And so in that respect, it wasn't hard for me to walk away from opera to do this. But it did mean that I was at this crossroads where 
if I was coming to France, there wasn't really anything else I was going to be able to do. And how was I going to make that into a career? And of course, the obvious when you're buying a chateau is do bed and breakfast just to try and get some money in, which is, which is what I ended up doing at first. Like, how do you like feel about doing like those opera singing like as a job, like, not just as a passion? Well, I, if, you, if you love something and you have to make it into a living, I think there's a very big risk that you start to see it just as a job and that it loses the special appeal that it had to you in the first place. And with opera, it didn't even have that special appeal in the first place. And making a career out of opera is extremely hard. I mean, it's very, very hard work. It's very uncertain work. It involves being able to travel all over the world to work um, anywhere that a role comes up and to live there whilst you need to. And therefore, you have a little bit less control over your own life in some ways. But that's true of anything that you really, truly want to do. And when I moved to France, it was very difficult. It was extremely uncomfortable. It was freezing cold. We fairly quickly ran out of money and were able to just about make ends meet with the bed and breakfast. But it's not easy. And I was here alone a lot of the time. But that never bothered me in the way that the downside of opera did. It never bothered me because I just loved it and I love being here. So I think finding a job, it's not about whether it's hard work or not. It's about whether it's worth it, whether the really hard work is worth it because you love what you're doing. So you also like participated like in the Red and Big First show, like in France. So how was that experience? Everything, everything at the Chateau changed the moment I appeared in a television show in England, and then also a television show in France. And the one in France was called Bienvenue Chez Nous. And it was the equivalent of the British four in a bed. I don't know if you'll have seen that, but it's four couples who own bed and breakfasts go around to each other's bed and breakfasts and mark each other on all sorts of aspects of it, things to do in the local area, the way it's run, the rooms. And everyone told me not to do it. I didn't, I'd never seen the show when I agreed to it, but I'd had such a lovely experience doing the show in England, the, a different show, Escape to the Chateau DIY, that I just thought, oh, well, no, it's lovely and fun. And I decided that the couple that I would be in, because I'm, I'm single, uh, would be my mother. And it would give me then a good opportunity to spend a lot of time with my mother and to visit the rest of France, because I think many of us are guilty of not visiting our own countries enough and not seeing the beauty of our, the countries that we live in. So I did that with my mother and it was an unbelievable experience. I mean, I saw amazing places and also quite extraordinary places. The very first hotel that we went to, well, bed and breakfast, was um, a love hotel, they called it, for couples to find themselves again in their relationship. And my mother and I were sharing the temptation suite, which had a jacuzzi in it and a lot of red lighting. <laughs> Not the sort of place I would usually go to with my mother in a million years. But um, that set the tone for a very, very strange week of filming. But it was a great deal of fun. And we were lucky enough to win the competition. And there was a lot of scandal around it because there was another couple on the show who were recorded saying very, very nasty things about um, all of the other contenders, especially me and my mother. 
And in fact, I think that perhaps they were slightly manipulated into doing that. Um, I've spoken to them since and we're on good terms, but the whole country turned against them. And so all of France was talking about this show that we were in because of this couple who'd been really nasty. Uh, the woman was claiming she didn't know who Louis XIV was, which caused a scandal in France as well. Um, and actually, the French public turned on them so much that I had to make a public statement saying that actually, we were perfectly friendly and could people stop being nasty to them? And then I spoke to them privately and, and they were fine and, and we're, we're all good now. But I think because of that, all of that publicity helped a great deal, certainly with our bed and breakfast. Okay. So also, the, so you, you also participated in Escape to the Chateau DIY. So what was your experience with that? Escape to the Chateau DIY is undoubtedly the show that's transformed my life completely. Um, one day I received a message through the Workaway site where people arrange to volunteer at places around the world. And it said, oh, hello, we're not actually volunteers. We're a production company we're about to make a show in England about the restoration of French chateaus. If anyone you know uh, is English involved in this, then please, could you contact us? So I called them and the very next day they set up a Skype interview. And the day after that, they told me I was in the show and that they would be coming to film, I think, two weeks later. So it happened so fast. And then the show, when it came out, was the biggest hit in terms of new daytime shows for the last 10 years. And it was a completely unexpected hit because it was just a spin-off of another series. I thought it would be a tiny little thing, but it became huge. And I think it changed everything because I realized that I loved sharing life at the chateau with other people. I loved hearing their reactions. I loved getting their feedback. It made me feel so much less isolated when I'd been really in a very, very remote rural part of France, often by myself for about 12 years by that point. And it gave me the courage to start making vlogs because I was less shy about it because I'd been seen on TV. So I was getting used to hearing my voice. That's the hardest thing to get over at first. You probably feel that when you started doing the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but once I got used to that, I thought, okay, fine. I, I'll try and do this vlog. And, and then all of the Chateau's success has stemmed from that. Okay. Uh, so what were the years that you, you participated in? The year? Um, I'm actually still participating. I think we're up to season... Yeah four or five now and we're still filming for the next season and so in fact I've been taking part in this for about three years now at least. Okay um, so so how was your experience with uh, having volunteers? Volunteers were life-changing. Uh, at first I arranged for volunteers to come uh, quite tragically <laughs> to have company <laughs> because after we moved in Nicholas realized that he couldn't stay here that's the best friend that I bought with he actually couldn't stay here for work after all. He had to go back to work in London. So he'd fly out whenever he could, but um, I, I had to you know, man the fort literally. And then my father died four years after we bought and my parents used to live with me a lot here. And after his death, my mother um, wonderfully met her new husband, Percy, who's just a lovely, lovely man. But it meant that my mother was in South Africa with her new husband, my father 
um, was obviously no longer with us. And Nick had gone back to London and my then boyfriend lived and worked in Amsterdam. So I was alone in a 40 room castle in the middle of France, very isolated. And that was, that was difficult for a while. Where was I going with it? What was the beginning question? Because I completely lost track of where I was going with it. Oh, well, it is. Yes. Yes. So I heard about this volunteer system and I thought, okay, well, I should contact and see if some people would like to come and hang out in the chateau. And I'm still in really good contact with the first two volunteers that arrived. Um, It was a girl from New Zealand and a boy from California. And they were fantastic fun, absolutely wonderful. And I realized then also the help that they were doing in the house because they turned up and said, oh, what are we here for? What work do you want me to do? I said, I haven't really thought of anything. If you see anything that needs doing, go ahead and do it. But generally just relax. Um, But in fact, they were super helpful. And I never look back. I've had volunteers here ever since. And it's part of life here. It's what what gives the chateau its life. When you're doing the came to the Chateau DIY, you met with other Chateau owners. So how was your experience meeting them? When we filmed the first season of Escape to the Chateau DIY, um, we all filmed in isolation. So I only met um, the camera woman and one producer. So it's two people who come to do all of the filming. It's very low key. It's the opposite of the French production where there's a huge um, team of like 20 people. And so it's very real life. They just follow you around as you get on with what you're doing. But I thought it was a real shame at the end that I hadn't met any of the other Chateau owners. And we're all starring in this show together and none of us know each other. So I decided to invite everyone to a party at La Lande, all of the other participants. And a lot of them came. And that's when I first met well, many of the other Chateau owners from the show, one of whom is still one of my best friends now and that also has started his own vlog. And that was so great because suddenly there was a support network of people in the same position. Because I think when people think of, oh, who would live in these French chateaus, you imagine super rich people with a team of staff who deal with everything, like coming and going in their helicopters. And that couldn't be further from the reality. I mean, I'm sure there are a few people like that down in the amazing chateaus on the Côte d'Azur or something. But generally, it's people like me, who've just sunk all of their money into making a dream come true um, and, and having to work to make it happen. And so we were all in exactly the same boat and we realized we have the same problems. Like, oh, do you have like plagues of flies that only hit one room in the chateau? So bizarre. And yes, we all have that. And we all have issues with the damp or issues with the heating. And it was really helpful to meet all of these other people I didn't know were out there that were going through the same thing I'd been going through. Also, do have you met chateau owners who were living there like from generation to generation? I've only met a couple of chateau owners who are in their chateaus because they've been there for generations. The first were the ones that I bought from because they'd been here for 200 years. And they had a second chateau that they'd owned for 600 years. So when the family finally needed to sell one of them, they decided to sell this one because the other one is in their family name. They're they're called the Marquis of Nadayak. It's in the village of Nadayak and the chateau is of Nadayak. So they felt they couldn't really sell that. But it was very, very hard for them because for the last 200 years, even though they owned the other one, they were living in this one. So all of their memories were based on this chateau. 
And it was very interesting to see how it works for a family who hand the chateau on from generation to generation, because it's very different in France from in England. In England, it's the eldest son who inherits the entire estate. And that way, the estate carries on down through the generations unbroken. But in France, it's law that you have to inherit equally. All siblings inherit equally. You can't leave everything to one, which means that every single generation, in order to keep the chateau, all of the siblings have to find a way. Uh, so one sibling has to find a way of buying all of the other siblings' shares every single generation. So that's really, really hard. And they've managed to do it here, but obviously it takes a lot of dedication. They've got to keep finding that money to make it happen. Um, and it's really hard for the French, therefore, to keep these houses in their families. But I also met another woman who has had it in her family for a long time. And there were still some similarities. I think there's a much greater sense of responsibility. I think with the rest of us, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, we will sell and move on with our lives. And we're not breaking a thousand year old tradition. So it's a lot lighter for us to deal with it. Whereas there's an enormous weight on the shoulders of people who've inherited it. But also, I think a great pride that their family have managed to do this and that they're working towards something so important and able to pass it on. But with the woman that I met who was in that position, it was still exactly the same feeling. She would say, oh, I go, I go to Paris where I live, to my flat. And then when I come back to the chateau at the weekend, I spend the entire first day in a panic, thinking there's so much to do. I'll never get it done. I'm going to fail at this. And that's what we felt every single time we came back to this chateau after having a break as well. Because in the early days, you can imagine, you look around and you just think there isn't one square inch of this entire building that doesn't need work done to it. Not one square inch of ceiling, wall, floor or exterior or roof that doesn't need to be redone. And that's really overwhelming at times. Okay. I also watch your uh, Sundays at the Chateau. How do you start like by researching, look for topics? How do you look for information? With Sundays at the Chateau, I, I often choose things that I know a little bit about anyway. And then I just try and find as many books as I can on the subject. If I can find any fiction based on the subject, I'll often do that. If I can find a novel set in the times that I want to talk about or around an industry that I want to talk about. I love doing that because I think that the minute you attach a story to something, you start to bring it to life and it sparks imagination and it feels quite immersive. But I think generally with Sundays at the Chateau, I'll do a little bit of research, then I'll go to whatever place it is that I want to film and that will spark more questions. And so I'll continue to research after doing that, which is why sometimes, for example, in the recent fabric vlog about Suleador. You'll see me going around the museum, but also talking from my room because I can add on more research that I've done afterwards that way and integrate the two. And the hard part for me is knowing when to stop because I go down a rabbit hole of wanting to learn everything about a subject and that you've got to find a cutoff point. Otherwise you never make the vlog. You never actually just let go enough to do that. And then the actual process is that I'll make bullet points and look at my bullet points and, and read through that way. And I'll film it in little segments like that. I don't have an actual script. What would you say would be a perfect day at the shutter? Hmm. 
That's a hard question. There's so many perfect days at the Chateau. Yesterday was a pretty perfect day, actually. So I can describe yesterday. Um, I woke up in the morning and the man from the local goat's cheese farm came to visit uh, in order to show us how to cook these local cheeses uh, and lots of different recipes for them. And I filmed all of that for a future Sundays at the Chateau. And then with everything that we'd cooked, everyone gathered together. We laid the table beautifully. Marie made stunning flowers for it. And we all ate this sort of French local feast together. Then in the afternoon, it was a little bit less exciting. I went to the DIY store (laughs) and met the local member of parliament to talk about putting the lake back. But that was great because he was very enthusiastic about helping us. And then I came home and it was time to get ready for a big party that we were having, a big costume party. So we had to decorate the house, choose our costumes, and then we were dancing all night. It was wonderful. And so that's sort of the perfect day. It's a mixture of work, but working on things that are really interesting, like filming a cookery vlog, renovation, in this case, that was meeting the member of parliament, and then, you know, play with friends, dressing up and having a party together. Okay. So you talked about uh, like you're having friends, you're owning the set of friends. So what do you value most in a friendship? I think maybe it's probably I would give you a different answer every day because there's so many facets to friendship. How can you choose one? But I think um, a sort of laid back attitude to things is very important if you're going into a huge project like this with friends. I've never argued with either Nick or Michael. Actually, that's not true. I had one argument with Nick in the 15 years that we've been here. And that was when we were at a local farm that was selling carp for people to eat. And I felt sorry for the carp. And I said, I I wanted to buy a carp. And he said, do not buy a carp. We've got a lake full of carp because this was before we drained the lake. And I said, but they're going to eat the carp. And I bought two carp to release back into our lake. And he got genuinely angry with me for being stupid with money when we had so much to do at the chateau. So we still call it carp gate, which is really funny because, you know, I've made so many far worse financial decisions. Obviously, when you're tackling this huge project, sometimes you get things in the wrong order and you make really expensive mistakes. And he's never ever been upset about anything else, just the purchase of those two fish. Yeah, that's what I love the most is that both of the people I've bought with uh, are so laid back that if one of us has completely run out of money, we're like, oh, this needs doing, there's no way I can do it. Then another one will say, oh, well, fine, I'll see if I can manage it. I'll step in. And no one's keeping accounts. No one really cares as long as we just manage to keep it going. There's a real sense of family. It's not it's not like friends carving things up amongst themselves. It's just very fluid. It's, it's much more like a nuclear family, actually, sort of all for one and one for all. What is your most treasured memory? I don't even think I can answer that. My most treasured memory, it always comes down to the people. It's that I've been lucky enough to live with so many people in such a beautiful place. And I don't think that there's any one moment that sums that up. I often think of Christmases when we're all together around the tree, but it's probably parties, maybe our Easter parties, just because they represent everybody working on a goal together. And whilst we're doing that every day for the big goal that's the chateau, that crystallizes when we're all working towards a party because 
you see the results so much quicker. And we never get, you know, party planners in to come and decorate and then just turn up in ball gowns at the last minute. We spend the entire day making decorations, cooking all the food, doing everything, making our costumes, and then turning up and having the party at the end of it. So I think that the parties most sum up life here. What is your greatest strength and weakness and how it helped you to become who you are? Oh my goodness, my greatest strength and my greatest weakness. Well, this is a question that I've had on my, um, on my patron interviews. I think that my greatest strength and my greatest weakness are one and the same, and they are optimism. And that is an enormous strength in life because it it gives you the courage to leap into things because you think it's going to be fine. So optimism definitely engenders courage and courage is so necessary if you want a life that's in any way out of the ordinary. At the same time, optimism can make you uh, blind to some problems and it can make you think that there isn't a serious problem where there is a serious problem. And you can also be too trusting because you're very optimistic about people as well. And whilst I would never change that, I think that's uh, the nicest way to look at people. It means that I could sometimes trust too much. And for example, the water police who asked me to drain the lake, I was very trusting about what I was being told. And afterwards, it turned out that I did not need to drain the lake and I should not have trusted them. And 10 years later, I'm still trying to fix that problem which I think was also engendered from the same kind of optimistic belief in people. How do you say, like, if you didn't have that uh, as a strength or a weakness, how would you say if you weren't optimistic, how would your life? My life would be completely different, absolutely different. I would never, without optimism, have launched myself into a future where there was no clear way of how I would make my living. I would have... I would have definitely got a job. I would probably become a lawyer, something very safe and sensible that also attracts me because I like logic. Um, I like winning an argument. Uh, that, that's very interesting to me. And that would have been safe. So I would probably have gone into a career like that. So how would you like to be remembered for in the next maybe 50 or 60 years? How would I like to be remembered? I think as someone kind, I think more than anything else, but also somebody who had the strength to make her vision a reality and to do that with the people that she loved. I think we would sum up here now. So you can share all your, from your YouTube, you have all and everything you can share. Well, if anyone is interested in seeing the life here at the chateau that we've built out of optimism and a little bit of madness, um, then it's on YouTube and it's called The Chateau Diaries. Thanks for agreeing to come into this interview. So it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. So, yeah, really, really lovely meeting you and chatting to you. Yeah, it's great to meet you too. Thank you for listening to our conversation. Please leave a review or subscribe from wherever you listen to our podcast. See you next time.